David, I have a goal. What's your goal? My goal is to see your face in an actual recording studio. <laughs> by can, 2021. <laughs> I'm hoping New York City opens soon. I can just take the ferry over and we can I mean, it's sit opening, down. but we'll It's see. not there yet. Right it's now, restaurants are only outside only, but it's like, how long is that going to last? Because winter is coming. <laughs> <So> <laughs> next thing you know, I'm going to be like shivering, just trying to have like a beer outside. So It's not going to happen. It's not. I give up. That's, just I gonna, mean, the reason that Josh and I moved out of the city was because we were we were paying five thousand dollars a month for rent and we couldn't do anything. Yeah. And so we're like, this is insane. So my partner Astrid wants us to move to Jersey and live right next door to you, and I'm I, fighting it. I'm fine with it. I, it's There's... three to one right now. I'm outnumbered. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. <laughs> but I'm I'm excited that we have our guest on because we have been talking about having her on for quite some time. Yeah. Um but and she's been I, so busy. We're like, let's busy, give her a break and then and grab have, her. <laughs> I really just want to start with Kia. I just want to start with one question. We have Kia Neal here from Texture versus Race. How sick are you of educating white people right now? <laughs> that is my main that question. That is a great question. <laughs> ripped it right off as soon as we start. I mean, I don't even get a chance to say hi to everybody. <laughs> I don't even get a chance to thank you for having <laughs> on. So now that I've got that out of the way, you know, I'm not tired at all yet. I, I have decided to make time for direction. I'm not investing a lot of time in educating on history. Right. But I am making time for direction because as much as I don't know what exactly is next, I know you don't either. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like I have a, a responsibility to at least express what it is I would like to see and how that can be managed. Yeah. And we, we appreciate that as, Absolutely appreciate as white it. people. And um, it's not your responsibility to teach us history. Like <laughs> it is not, it is no, not. And what, not <laughs> what do you, what has happened since kind of this paradigm shift and all the racial issues that have been rising to the surface that we know are not new, but what has it, what have you seen starting to change in the industry just from people that are talking to you? I know you've been all over the place talking on podcasts and webinars what are you what are you seeing right now? I'm seeing people listening. I think they've heard us. I think there has been people have had the, the privilege, if you will, to not really lean in. You've had the privilege to overlook it, to change the channel, to scroll past it, to not feel anything. And I think that has been taken away. And everybody has all the feels right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone is forced to listen, not just hear it, but listen. And I believe that everyone that connects with me or the people that are connecting with me, they really genuinely want to know what can I do. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I, I, I can appreciate that because at that point, it's for me to say, here's some actionable steps. Here's what you can do besides feel bad. Here's what you can do besides blacking out your square. Here's what you can do to keep saying, I'm so sorry, this is awful. Like this well, is- change doesn't happen with comfort. So it does it's the more, the more uncomfortable we are, the better, because it's, we, we have to do something. And that's a sign of change and movement when we're uncomfortable. 
So I'm good with that. And, and most yeah. people will say, oh, you know, we want to create safe spaces to have the hard conversations, but we have to be able to separate, you know, you're feeling safe from you feeling comfortable and understanding that just because you're not comfortable doesn't mean you're in any danger. And that's the issue. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can see that could turn into white people making spaces to feel safe talking about race when the reality is it's not... We're safe all the time. Yeah, we're already safe. Mm-hmm. So it's the conversation is it's really interesting. And I, I want to talk more about texture versus, ra- texture versus race. I want to know about you. There. But I, yeah, I want to know Tell us where your you started, story. what you've experienced in the industry, kind of like, obviously that's what created texture versus race, but we want to know the, the beginnings. All right. So, <laughs> Camille, born in, <laughs> well, I'm from South Carolina, actually. Oh. I now live in Maryland. So, I owned a salon for 10 years and I have been doing here for 15 years when I made a huge shift to move to Maryland with my then new husband. And I knew that in that moment, if I were to go back to the salon, I needed to do it differently. I didn't want the same hustle and bustle of the nine to nine. Mm-hmm. You know, leaving my children at home, just being sort of a slave and being held hostage to the salon life. So I decided I wanted to venture out and learn more about other cultures, about working with people and textures that I was not familiar with. So I, essentially, I was my own texture versus race because <laughs> I'm such a traditional black salon. Well, we were great in my culture. Like we, we had a very professional, you know, upscale salon, but I wanted to know what was going on on the other side. And this was just a great place to do it because I hit a huge reset button. So I started working in a multicultural salon where I was probably the only black person there the majority of the time I was there. And that was an interesting experience. And I'm still at that salon, but salon has grown me in a lot of ways because I got to one, learn about another culture, experience how to transition your clientele into a multi-textual clientele, how to fit in where you don't, how to help create the culture that you want to see around you. And it really gave me content and context for everything mm-hmm. that I'm discussing now and it, because of my experience with that salon. And I believe that that has been sort of the sounding board for me, yeah. the backboard, if you will. Yeah, so it's been great. I've been doing hair. Uh, everything that I learned there, working with a whole bunch of white people, honestly, I started to to see like, oh my God, there's a huge difference between the cultures, the way we do things, the way we interpret things, the way the salon is run, how people even view the salon. Why do That's they- what makes the whole industry is all of these cultures. Right. So, we're, but we were so different though. And I felt like there were a lot that the African-American community just didn't know. So mm-hmm. I set out on a journey to really like expose and, and have more education around color. That was one of the most under executed services in the black community because historically we just didn't do it as, right. because we had other chemicals. So I wanted to be able to provide solid education that was inclusive of all fabrics that they could understand that could break it down to a point where anybody could learn how to do color. And it wasn't void of the people and the textures that they were accustomed to. And even though my curriculum did not start off just for the African-American community, the best thing about it is that it really served the African-American community, but it, it quite surprisingly served the Caucasian market as well, because it was just simply good education. So we began very quickly on having a very multicultural audience. And for that, I was really proud of that. 
That's wonderful. How, how did, so it sounds like you actually started, if I'm hearing you correctly, educating the African-American community, the black community on different texture hair and color, doing color for texture hair, correct? Is that what I'm hearing? No. So here's yeah. what I did. Let me, let me clarify. We started the color culture to teach color. It was Got just it. inclusive. We wanted, we wanted to learn how to do color regardless of what fabric they were, they were doing it on. We wanted them to understand the chemistry of color in itself, not just this is what you do to black hair or this is Then what you, you can fit in any hair. texture if you know right. color theory. So if you understand color theory and you understand the chemistry and the science of it, the artistic approach, that can be weaved in. But everyone needed to understand the science of color and then they plug in the fabrics and plug in mm-hmm. the characteristics of each person individually. So we really didn't have a black curriculum. I never had black girl color curriculum. I didn't really seek out to just educate black people. They just benefited the most because that education was so easy to understand because I literally went back to page one and said, here's where we missed it. Here's where there was a disservice in the books, even when we were in school. Here's what we didn't get. But what was surprising is that nobody got it. The curriculum that good from the beginning. And I, you know, once I realized white wasn't right and that all white people just didn't know how to do color, that some of them were just doing out of repetition or because that's what they, their salon specialized in, they didn't really understand it either. So it was just, it was a great curriculum. And I realized that early. Texture versus race came up because the ABCH wanted us to teach black or textured color. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what did you, what do you notice when it comes to like, the white community and the black community specifically coming together to learn together. Do you find that white people are more intimidated by that process or black people are more intimidated by that process? Or do you think it's that that's not happening? As much? I think that traditionally up until now, black people kind of have been intimidated because the information didn't include them. So right. I, I mean, look at the Milady books. I, that's what I'm saying. The Milady books were never set up to include us from the beginning. Like, I really hope cosmetology schools are listening or the, the cosmetology board is listening. Well, we've been screaming at them for quite some time. And I say this every single time I open my mouth is that they need, they need to reform the curriculum for the schools and they need to make it mandatory that not only is texture added to the curriculum, but it's considered from page one and mm-hmm. that it's mandatory to test out on textured hair. And they need to build solid hairdressers when they come out where they are, they are absolutely confident in all textures. So that's a huge point right there. But I just think that, you know, they should be listening. I mean, at this point, somebody should be doing something. (laughs) I really hope so. (laughs) So. That's really interesting. I think you, you posted on your Instagram. I think it, I believe it was your Instagram that said that the two most segregated places are the church and the salon? Absolutely. Uh, the church and the salon, I live in both realities because my church is really multicultural, but it's an effort that they put forth every single day mm-hmm. to be multicultural, to be diverse, to expand and open its doors and to convince people that they should be worshiping together if they all believe the same thing. And it's the same thing for the salon. You know, we are so overtly segregated. Nobody seems to say anything up until now. And I believe that if everyone is leaning into the same idea that, okay, well, let's all learn how to do hair, period. Let's go back 
to the beginning of learning how to be inclusive of everyone and all textures, then the race won't matter. Once we address hair as a fabric, then race will become second or third to the equation. And, and I think that most people at this point are now either sitting on, you're right, I need to learn, or well, maybe I don't want to learn and I'm just going to sit this wave out, but to each his own. Right. I love that you said go back to the beginning because I think it's I think a lot of people are feeling like we have to move on and it's like no let's let's take what we had and make it better let's go back to the beginning let's look at where we missed missed the mark and let's create something new based off that and so I, I really love tapping back and like okay let's really let's really reflect and look back how can we how can we create new things that are going to actually create transformation in the long term and it's not even so much about just us. We, we have to go back and correct what's broken mm-hmm. for the future, for those that come behind us. Because the schools right God now... God bless the next generation. Yeah, they're going to be straight. I'm going to be honest with you. I think they're going to be great. I'm <laughs> they're already yeah. on it. The next generation are going to be looking at us like, thank you, right on, God did it. You know, because this, <laughs> the shift is upon us. Like, there's no going back to a, a normalcy. Like, we're creating that new normal as we speak. And I think things yeah. like reforming and, and understand, look, even just acknowledging that there is a broken system, that's got to be first. And everyone has to do a personal work and have a personal journey to understand our history so that we can be present in the moment and not opt to close our eyes, turn our, turn our heads, you know, block out our ears. We have to get to a point where we become very affected by what's going on and be prompted to change and do our part. Are you yeah, surprised absolutely. by the by the response of everyone in the beauty community, or are you kind of like out of time? No, I feel like it's about dang on time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like there you are. I have like, no qualms about digging in my heels and getting it in right now. Like I am not interested in anybody's comfort because you've been comfortable all this time. Join yeah. the club. I mean, now it's like everybody has to share in this experience with us. It's a collective discomfort. It is a collective discomfort. And and while I believe that uh, there's always been people that's been, you know, aware. The text versus race has touched a lot of people over the past two years alone, but we're moving at snail's pace. And now that we have this huge rising, people are looking for something, some place, an ideal, some direction. They're looking for something. And we're like, thank you. You're welcome. Come on in the door. Sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's see what we're getting ready to do. And I think, yeah. it's, I think it's okay. It's a whole lot of woke white folks right now. And I am here for it. That's awesome. And the where'd you come up with the name texture versus race? That's an interesting story because, like I said, I developed a whole curriculum that specifically did not exclude Black people. That did through not color exclude. culture, right? right? The color culture was very diverse. Its language never leaned into a texture by a race. Period. We leaned into fabric and how to deal with fabric and how to how to change the the uh, the approach, the rules of engagement for different fabrics. But those fabrics live. Because of my experience, I understood that those fabrics live on any race at any given time. Like there was no telling who or what was going to be sitting in my chair day to day working in this multicultural salon. I live in a very diverse area. So I, I never set out for it to be an exclusive or inclusive specifically or cherry picked, if you will, for texture education. 
But when the American Board of Certified Hair Colorists, which is a predominantly white organization, they are one of the whitest organizations that I was a part of. And they said, we know, don't know much about texture. Can you teach that? Can you teach us how to color textured hair? And I was a little taken aback because I didn't want to do that. There's that proverbial box yeah. that says, if you're a black person and you teach and you're an educator, you're, you, you cut black hair or you mm-hmm. only color black hair. You do black girl color. That's you your purpose in the education. That's my purpose in life is to teach texture education. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I literally struggled with that. And I believe, you know, I'm a, I'm a very Christian woman. I'm a, you know, a spiritual person. And I felt like while I was sitting at the computer looking at a blank screen, I kept asking God, how do I do this? When this was not the point from the beginning, you know, I, I spent a lot of time blurring that line. And now you're telling me to put the line back in the sand. And God just simply just said texture versus race. That's what we're going to talk about. And I was like, I that. no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> I don't think so. But I wrote it down and I put it on my wall and I left it there for about three, four months. And I came back to it and I says, now you're going to have to tell me how this is going to work. Why am I teaching texture versus race? And I said, and I was just talking through it with God. I literally was just sitting here going, I don't, I don't really understand why I can't put together a curriculum specifically for black hair. Like it just seemed like it was so far away. And I said, I think, I think what people really need to learn is how to do people. I can teach you a skill, but they need to learn how to do each other first. And God mm-hmm. says, that's, that's what you're going to talk about. Is that's amazing. Race from hair and teaching people how to be socially conscious and culturally conscious and competent yeah. beyond um, hair, beyond the hair. The hair is going to come like second or third. This is about us socially. So at the time, that's all I really knew about it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't expect to have the how people responded to it. The response was overwhelming at first, but I was very clear that my that what the, what the class was about was exactly what it was supposed to be about. When did Texture versus Race launch? June of 2018. Wow. And how do you feel like it's evolved since that first time? More people. Just, more people. I was about to say, it's the same message. It's yeah. the same message that it has been. We just have more people that are saying, now what? What's next? What they're paying attention. Like, they're, yeah. paying attention. they're listening. They're hearing with their hearts. They're coming with their hands open, their hands up like, hey, listen, I just, okay, okay. I think it's hard to, what was the hardest part about the launch or even after the launch was getting people to acknowledge that there was a problem. Some people were easy, were easy buy-in. They were like, we know it's a problem. I've already known there's a problem. So there's always those people that have already been aware. They're already cognizant of what's going on around them. They've already ran away from black people when they come inside their doors. They already have experienced that and they know they had a consciousness about it that I know this isn't right, but I don't know what to do. Then there was those people that wanted me to convince them and I'm just not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'll no. say what I'm going to say the first time and that's a wrap after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that's, that's, I'm, I'm sure you've had I'm sure you've had, I know we've had a lot of good experiences. We've had a lot of good experiences right now, but I'm also sure there's been some. Oh, absolutely. Some crazies. 
Let's call it crazy. People that are not not convinced yet that there is a problem. They don't, they're not convinced that there's systemic racism in place. They have convinced themselves that somehow we are to blame for the things that happen. And that's how, that's what the system does. It somehow creates a narrative that we somehow did something to provoke (laughs) <laughs> what has happened and where we are. And and I just don't argue with people about that. I just, I'm just not going to. Exactly. Yeah. That's you, when, when you're, when you're thinking about like your experience in the salon as a black woman working in a mainly white salon, you said what I think a lot of our list, I would say a lot of our listeners are of the white community. Um, and we just know that from our followers and who's following us and all that. So I think it's important for people to hear experiences that that black people have had working in white salons because i don't think i don't think a lot of people see it for what it is or can can empathize with it or look at it for what it is and i would love to hear some of your experiences so that people can start being aware of that for when they're working with their colleagues and when they're when they're hiring and doing all that for salons because there's a lot of salons out there that will say Oh, we don't do, you know, we don't get education on Afro textured hair or anything because we don't have a black clientele, but it's, we're kind or of they give in... all the black clientele to the black hairstylist. Exactly. So what, is that what happened to you in the salon? It initially, yeah. I mean, I still do sometimes I'll get all the black people to come in. They'll immediately come running to the back when someone <laughs> white walks in the door and be like, Hey, there's a client up front. Yeah, you need to come up front. And that's and that's fine. But what but but what I did get was the opportunity to work with a lot of multicultural people. I work with every single race, every single texture, and for that I'm grateful. They never held anybody back from me. Even though they wanted me to do all the black people, they still didn't hold off and say, yeah. No, don't do her. You only yeah. they never did that. So that was great. So, you know, but they didn't put you in a box. Right. But what I will say. And, and I wasn't getting in a box. I didn't come there for that. And I made that clear right off. So, <laughs> Bust down the wall. Fact, oh, no, we didn't, we didn't even come in with walls. Like, we <laughs> do white people. That's what I came here for. I, you already know I can do black. So I love it. Give me this. But I had to take control of, of that. But I think they were, they were with it off top. But to your point, I do believe that fitting into a culture, there were a lot of times where I had to say to them, you hired a black stylist. You have to make room for me. Yeah. You can't. And I would tell anybody that's looking to just hire black people now. Don't, don't do, don't do that right now until you're educated. Don't right. do that until you understand what the culture People are doing is. it so reactively right. and that could be more painful. That could hurt worse. Well, it's harmful because you don't really understand what you're, what you're trying to do in the environment you're trying to set up and you could potentially have a harmful environment. And I will say sometimes my salon, as much as I love them, it was harmful, not because they were intentionally trying to harm me, but because they didn't understand a lot about what it took for me to thrive, not just work there. I couldn't like, there were things like they didn't have the products that I needed. Like I had to say every single thing that I needed. Um, they, constantly argued with me or just made jokes about the fact that I had so much product, but I, okay, but I'm doing everybody eight to 80 blind people and crazy. Like I'm doing everybody, every race, every kind. Of course I have an uh, every a product expansive arsenal of products because I, I haven't found one that works for everyone. So yeah, I've got everything from perms to relaxes and rollers and rods or 
you know, flat irons. I've got every curling iron. I've got, you know, all these different shampoos. And they were like, oh my God, you just got so much stuff. And, you know, and I'm like, I do, I do. It's like I you're think, doing the most. I need my toolkit. I was like, I do have a lot of stuff. Get over it. I right. do. We're going to make room or we're not. Like now I'm at that point. But in the beginning, it felt like I was trying to squeeze a square peg into a round hole all the time. And I constantly had to say, if you want me to thrive, these are the things that I need. Just things like even dryers. Not a lot of white salons have a lot of hooded dryers. Mm-hmm. They kind of do now working with curlier hair, but a dryer. They went away for a while. They did because everybody was round brushing. Well, I didn't round brush everybody. So sometimes I needed a dryer. Sometimes I needed a different thing. And, it, and if it didn't work or if there was more than one and somebody else needed it, they didn't understand that that was a part of my process and that this particular hair style needed that. So I constantly had to explain and reiterate and you know, say, listen, I have a different culture than you. And, and they, would, they would take it pretty well. They would try to make room, but I always had to say it. And I always had to advocate for myself or I would be frustrated. So yeah. Yeah, but there are lots of little things they would do and I'd go, that, that, that won't work for me. Like, we're going to have to do something about that language or, you know, the things that you say. Yeah. But, it's but that's setting boundaries in general. You know, like, if, yeah. you don't, if you don't tell people how they should treat you, then you're going to live in resentment. You're going to live with, you know, the anger. So it's really important for anybody to just stand up for yourself in any way. And it doesn't mean being aggressive. It's just say what you need. Say how you want to be treated. Well, sometimes you got to get a little aggressive. I, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. When I, people are I listening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when well, my hair was shorter, my hair's always been short, right? And so black people, we tend to, there's a difference between, you know, moose and foam. Yeah. How we use it and what texture and what result you're looking for. And I would always smooth my sides down because they would curl up and then I would tie it with a wrap cap, you know. And I remember one of my coworkers, she doesn't work here anymore, she would say, she would laugh and go, You look like Aunt Jemima. Oh, no. And I looked at her and I said, Excuse me? And she said, It's just funny to see you, you know, wrap your hair up like that. I said, Okay. I said, I tell you what, I get it. It's cute. I said, but let me explain to you why I did it. And I went through the process of why, you know, the hair grows out. It's curly. I need to lay it down. I got to mold it so that it stays that way. Blah, blah. Well, she waited for my shampoo day and she did it again. She said, I decided that's so funny. You look like it's mom. I said, this is your last time saying that. Say it again and, I, and we're going to meet outside. Like, <laughs> we're going to have the real conversation outside. Like, yeah. But we're going to go outside on the corner. We're going to have the show enough conversation because right now you're being offensive. You're not getting it. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to hear that from you. Like, this is it. That's your last time saying that. So after that, every time I would do my hair or apply it, I would look over like, and I would give that look like, is today going to be your day? Oh <laughs> my God. God. We have a reservation out back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's those it's those little microaggressions that white people say and do and I, I I know this just from people that I know even my family that would say something where they would have no ill intention but it's such a harmful statement mm-hmm. and it's rooted and that's already rooted racism and, and all of its own issues so I think it's I think it's so important to have proper verbiage learn how to speak to each other and I and I think that's something that is, is lacking because I know that a lot of, I know from coaching a lot of white salons, I've, I've already asked them, if, a, if someone black comes into the salon, 
what kind of effort do you make to make them a client? And how is that different than the effort that you would make if it was a white client? Mm-hmm. And when they admit it, they don't make any effort. If they're intimidated by the hair, if they don't know verbiage around it, if they don't want to be embarrassed, it's like that whole fragility concept. But I think having those conversations, whether they're proactive or aggressive, are extremely important. And what about with clients? Because I know that you said that you went to that salon to start doing all the other textures of hair. What, what experiences have you had with you know, European hair, white person sitting in your hair and having like European straight hair? Like what, do they look at you as like, you don't know how to do my hair? Have you had that experience? Like, what does that look like in some of your experiences? So here's the thing. That's an excellent question. I'm glad you brought that back around because that is another part of our experience where people would stare, like some of the clients, I can tell the ones that aren't accepting, they would, they would be talking. And um, I remember this one time, this lady, she was in the mirror and we have a salon space where there's a lot of mirrors. Well, mirrors are the devil for, for everybody. <laughs> don't understand. I am the master of angles and mirrors and I, I can see everything and I can bounce 10 mirrors off to see you around the corner. <laughs> and this lady, she was next to, she was like two chairs over and she was telling herself, she was like, it sure does look different in here. Yeah. And, and the, and the, Sound says, what do you mean? Like she didn't have any proof. She was all mm-hmm. loud. Like, what do you mean it looks different? What, what do you what do you think has changed? She was like, and so she just kept trying to in the mirror talk. And you're her. like, I see you. And I'm thinking, I see <laughs> you. And I'm looking at her like, you know, I see you, right? Like I'm right, <laughs> like I'm standing here. And she looks over at me and she goes, She's like, like this young lady, she's new. And I said, Yeah, I am. I've only been here seven years. And she's like, really? Oh my god. And she's like, I've never seen you. And I was like, well, that's just probably because you come on an off day. I don't work every day. But I didn't want to make her feel bad, but I had to let her know, like, no, I'm not a new fixture. Like, I've, I've been here for a while. And, and, the, you, and know, you mentioned you mentioned saying that you could, like, you can see her. And there's, a, there's also a difference between, a, you know, someone who is a minority in a group, someone who's Black in an all-white group having that hyper vigilance of always hearing and seeing those things. And then the girl who was doing her hair had, didn't even had get no it. Idea. Like, you yeah, know what I mean? No idea. She was like, hey, hey. She was just like, ah, hey, me, girl. And she's and, like, and I feel like that's because she knows you've been there for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's like when you like, that's already an issue in itself that you have to be that aware and you are yeah. able to hear that much and see that much. And other people have the privilege of being like, What's different, you know? And that's the privilege. That is the whole privilege. That's the privilege part that people don't understand. So just back to the one thing that you said is that even being a black person in a white salon, the clients take that on as well because they don't believe that you're versed in their hair. Somehow they feel like they're the exception or exceptional in some spaces. So sometimes I'd get them say, are you sure you know how to do my texture? Have you done my, somebody's hair like mine before? And I'd go, well, this would be my second time. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Kind of it's my first time. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I mean, like once before, but we'll see how it goes. And let me tell you something. The clients that get with me that may start off with a little hesitation, I immediately take control of the conversation and I let them know that I am uh, the specialist and I'm the professional in this. 
and I, I talk them down off a ledge. And once you win people, anybody as a client and they trust you, then they stay with you throughout, you know, as best they can, as best they can. You, you have a client and you have their trust. So it doesn't last long. There may be that, oh, so you're going to do my hair. You're doing my hair today. And then you go, I am. And then you, you know, you're very professional and do what I do for everyone. Then you sort of kind of disarm people a little bit, but yeah, white people kind of feel like, you know, I might not know how to do their hair as well. So, but like, like you said, one more thing that I will say about salon owners that hire black people, always be cognizant that you can't, you can't walk around in your bubble with your privilege hat on and not see things. Because if your black stylist tells you that something harmful is going on or someone said something or a customer said something, the response is a no, not Karen. No, not Karen. But most likely Karen. <laughs> it's always Karen. It's always Karen. <laughs> And so that, that right there can happen. And I just want to, to, I meant to say that a minute ago and I wanted to make sure that I got that out. If you employ black people, you, that privileged blinder that you may have, where you like not aware of what's going on, be aware and understand that I am very aware of what's going on around me. And if I tell you that someone said something offensive or someone did something or made me uncomfortable, take my word for it and stand up for them. Yeah. That's yeah. your job now to stand up for them in that space and not go, no, you must have read that wrong. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You're sweet. Look, That's leadership one oh one. Yeah. Support your team, back your staff. Yeah, but if you're not their used feelings to matter. A racial, in a racial environment, yeah. then you won't see it. Especially if you're yeah. not like I said, if you've had the privilege go, no, she didn't she didn't mean it like that. And you're like, Well, how else does she mean that? Like, how many yeah. ways did you think that? Like, I mean Right. So, I think I think it's also there's there's so many things lacking just in the education part. Like le- when you learn leadership communication, you learn certain things. You don't learn race, like you don't learn mm-hmm. differences of how to communicate with racial issues or things like that. And it just depends. I mean, some people are really, like you said, some people are really aware and awake, and they're on it. And then other people, they just it's not even just on their right radar. over their heads. Yeah, a world of oblivion. It's 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 very it's very eye opening to have these conversations now. And I, I remember I was in Mexico with a friend of mine who is Mexican, and we were we were sitting next to each other. And a woman came up, and she was white, and she but she lived in Mexico, and she she looked at my friend. And she said she ignored me, and she looked at my friend. And she said, "Oh, well, you obviously speak Spanish." And in my head, I was like, "Yeah, he does." <laughs> like yeah he obviously yeah he speaks because i couldn't speak spanish and we walked away and he's like that is you know it's not the same as black and white but like you know is spanish and white he's like that is racist the fact that you get to we're not you know we don't have to talk to you we don't have to do we're gonna talk to the one that looks like he speaks spanish so even me just like not understanding all those different things you you just take that and put it into a salon now you have now you have texture. Now you have uh, racial issues between people, and it's hard to talk about it. And I think just I think that's those one are those of the most little things that things. are so harmful. Does does uh, texture versus race go into those types of conversations or anything like that? Do you teach leadership in that way at all, or no? Absolutely. Then we talk about that first. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought. 
That's first. We're going to talk about how to deal with people. We talk about your biasness. We talk about the stereotypes that, that tend to have a lot of bearings on how you think and feel about people, how you hire, how you operate and move through in your salon. How did it help you build your culture? based on some of those biases that you have that some, some of them are unconscious. You don't even know. Like, how do you associate certain things, right? Like, mm-hmm. do you think certain things are just ghetto? Do you innately think that if I use a Marcel iron or I have a stove, that I'm ghetto? You know what yeah. I mean? There's, yeah. there's certain things that just, you, you sort of qualify those qualities and, and, you, and you, oh, I don't, I don't want that. So, you know, you might, and I'm just using it as an example that people yeah. sometimes have an unconscious bias that definitely affects how they see things. And we talk about yeah. openly and we give them the opportunity to ask questions and put it all on the table with someone who's not going to go say, what, why did you ask me? No, not why did you ask me that? I'm glad you asked me that. Now here's my opportunity to destroy ignorance and set yeah, you right. on the right path. Because sometimes people don't know. That's why I always say, I got time. I have time for the person who has good motives around the questions that they ask. Yeah. And so I try to create that environment at all times. So people what's, can ask. What's the biggest question that you get asked? Ooh, there's so many. Oh, there's <laughs> so many. I remember Because I'm sure time. our listeners are like, they have questions yeah. and I just want to yeah. touch base on some of the most popular Okay, let me see. I'm going to talk about the first time we did texture versus race at the ABCH. And we did an exercise to have them ask people or ask me a burning question that they had. It could be anything. And one young lady asked me, she says, did you ever in your life just want long blonde hair? Like, I mean, but do, do you want long blonde hair? Like, like, I think I did at some point. You know, I said, I thought, you know, when the European standard of beauty was, you know, forced upon me to think that that was the epitome of beauty, I'm sure I did before I came to my whole self. And she said, um, she said, and I said, you know, I I think I wanted, no, she said, do you ever get frustrated with your hair, you know, and about doing it and taking the time to do it? I said, about as frustrated as you get that it goes flat every day and you got to do just as much work to get to stay up. I got to do the same work and get to go down. So, I mean, I think we're kind of equal. Everybody, yeah. you know what I mean? Everybody's And you can also hair. have long blonde hair. Everybody's frustrated with their hair. Right. <laughs> I was like, everybody's frustrated with their hair. I was like, but I love my hair, just like you love yours. And um, I don't know. Somebody asked, somebody asked me once, uh, they'll ask things like, why don't y'all shampoo more often? Or, which is mm-hmm. technical stuff. See what I mean? But yeah. when you your mind that you think dreadlocks or locks are dirty or natural hair is dirty. See, that's a stigma, but that gives me a chance to educate you in the right now. You can go through opportunity historically. It means so much or why it's so important. You know, hair is so important to the African-American community and the culture of African-American people. But now is my point to really redirect you and say, no, that's not the case. This is why we do what we do and give you facts and theory around hair and texture and move forward. So now I've just, I've just destroyed your ignorance in that space. Um, I get a lot of questions. I can't even think of them right off the top. <laughs> yeah, well, if people want to, if, if people want to ask you questions, where can they message you? 
And what are all your accounts? Well, so they can find me at Kia Artistically. They can find me at Texture versus Race. They can find me on Facebook at Kia Artistically. Um, Texture versus Race has a group. That's a great space to ask questions. A lot of Black people are there that are willing to, to, to speak up. A lot of white people are there. There's a lot of good conversation going on in the Texture versus Race group. And that's a great place to kind of drop your questions without a lot of judgment. Now, let me say this. No one's going to crucify you for asking a question. You just may not always like the answer, but you're definitely going to get an answer because people want to have the conversation. So right. as long yeah. as you go in with the intention of getting an answer and you're okay with the answer, then great. I was, we had a webinar a, little, a couple months ago and we were talking about black and white salons and how that, that segregation is still there. And someone brought up a good point that I wanted to ask you. How do you, you know, the black salon, like it's become such a like part of culture and part of families and experiences. My my partner is black and goes goes to a black barbershop specifically. And it's more than just getting a haircut. It's a whole, it's part of what he did growing up. It's part of his life. It's part of who he is. And then you have now you have white salons that are saying we want to have black stylists and black, like it's kind of reactive trying to become more inclusive, but how do you, how do you kind of combine the two without removing the, what's the word I'm looking for? The kind of like the spiritual connection that people have with their barbers and their, in their salons and that connection that they have, how, instead of trying to make everyone go to the same place and join together, there's kind of a, a reason that people enjoy going to their barbershop with their community. It's not about dismantling that. Mm -hmm. I like that question. I think that this is going to be twofold. Let me say this. Historically, yes, the traditional black salon was developed upon the culture of us and the camaraderie of going to the salon. A lot of black people, if you really did your, you know, do some research in your history, you know, this is where people kind of got away from things like way back in the day when racism was high and, you know, people went to the salon and they would stay all day by choice, not necessarily because they had to, but they loved to talk and kind of, you know, shoot the breeze and, you know, catch up with your friends. And so it was kind of a social gathering as well, uh, you know, in the salons and it kind of carried over you know, in, in, the, in the traditional black salons coming up through the 80s and some of the 90s. But here's what I'll say. Not everyone wants to have this, you know, the sister girl, we all sit there all day. Everybody's, I think that's the stigma we're trying to break is that black salons do not all operate like that. Yeah. Right. We have new generations of stylists that are coming out. And some of us like working alone. Suits. We have one-on-one time and everybody's in and out, you know, piece by piece. Some stylists like the open team environment, like myself. I talk a lot. So I like being around people, you know. So I will, I will mostly try to be in that space, not because I want it to be, you know, just me sitting around ordering lunch together and just sit down. But I do like to have light conversation with people and have the team environment. I like that. But I don't think that people have to dissolve their whole concept to include black people. And that's the yeah. thing. I think we, we keep thinking that, well, if I bring someone black in, then I've got to change the whole dynamics of the salon. No, right. you don't. <laughs> it's not exclusive of black people and accept the people that might want to buy into your culture. But your yeah. culture to be open so it's not that i don't want you you know we want we love you know professional salons i would love to work in a compartmentalized salon where you have all yeah. your 
in your color. I would love to do that. That doesn't mean you have to change the whole culture. No, but don't exclude me because you haven't done the research on how to create a space that I can thrive in. But don't fool yourself into what you think I need to thrive. Ask me. Like, do yeah. some research. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just having, you know, products that work for everybody or retailing where the clients come in and see. Or where the products come from. Right. Who are they supporting? Right. Like, there's a lot of ways to create culture. But what is the culture? I think you have to ask yourself that. What is the culture? Is the culture... There's a lot of people. I don't think they know. <laughs> they don't. But that's the, that's the question. What is your culture? And why does your culture seem to be void of all black people do you it may not be that you have to change the entire culture maybe you just need to change how you advertise who you advertise to uh some of the inner workings of the salon itself uh, like product wise um you know did you not hire that black person because you thought maybe she wouldn't do well there or that you all you only have white clients so maybe she won't be comfortable like how did you make those decisions yeah but i don't don't think People have to take on, you know, do we have to now be more like the traditional black salon in order to have black people? No, there are black people that like it the way you have it. They just want Mm -hmm. the opportunities to be able to work together. And it's not about just bringing black people into your salons. I think the bigger question here going forward is why don't white people go work in black salons? And why Mm -hmm. do you seem to think that all black salons are somehow ghetto or hood? which is the stereotype that you have that somehow we're not professional and we're yeah. not professional. As you. Look beyond the media and the movies, like right. go, you know, like really educate yourself. Like why, why won't white people go work in black salons? Like let's, let's work on that part. Mm-hmm. We can come work at your space. We yeah, that's, yeah. Well, how you that's took, you were like, I'm breaking down. I'm, I'm breaking through. There's no walls. Like I want to, I want to do this. We as white people, why can't we do the same? You know, why can't we go in there and be like, I'm going to work here? I know very few white people. There are very few white people that will go work in a predominantly black salon. They'll And, and it could be the nicest salon. I'm talking mm-hmm. scale, you know, stellar. And they'll still feel like there's too many black people around me. That's where you got to lean in. Why mm-hmm. would you? Let's ask Lean that into one. the uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. Those, w- this could go on. And yeah. we could go deeper and deeper and I deeper know. into these conversations. And we have to. Yeah. And we're going to have to bring you back on because I we're don't think this, this conversation this is the end over. Of the conversation. <laughs> well, we always just, you know, we're running out of time, unfortunately. But why do we... Well, first, first I want to ask one more thing. Okay. If you were to give three pieces of advice to white salon owners that they could implement quickly... And that wouldn't be reactive oh, and that. harmful. What would it? What would those three things be? Do some personal work. Um, set yourself on an anti-racist journey. Right. First. Because I think one of the very first things you can do is understand how, how harmful you are, even if you don't feel like you are. You are. All white people are harmful because we're here. And that's just a blanket statement. And I don't mean aggressively harmful like like violently like i'm not talking about physically violently i'm talking about the fact that we are here and we're having this conversation you have to understand that there's some there's a part that every single person has played for us to be in this space so if you take on the perception or the persona that i am harmful and i need to know what part that i play how have i contributed to the broken the brokenness of the of the industry of the world. I think understanding your privilege and it's just about it's a journey. It's about opening your heart 
to doing personal work. That is first before you do anything else. And I, and I don't want anybody or any of your listeners to walk away going, she just called me harmful. Yes. I'm saying that until you take on the, the position of being anti-racist, you are a racist, even if you're not thinking that you are, you have to, you You can't stick your head in the sand, right? You have to be intentionally anti-racist and you have to know what you can do going forward. And then I would say, uh, you know, once you do the work, make sure that your team is doing the work, reevaluate your space. See, get someone black, maybe to walk in and say, what do you think and feel about this whole space when you walk in? You know, just start treating people differently. Have more conversations with the black people that are around you and give them a chance to really express themselves with candor to you about how they feel around you and how they feel in your space. I don't think that we should make reactive, you know, uh, responses. I don't think that we should have knee jerk of just hiring a bunch of black people all of a sudden. I just think that we need to really do the inside work. So once we do that, everything else is going to start setting itself up. Just pause for a minute, educate Uh, from the heart. Exactly. Just pause. Mm -hmm. Pause. Take a second. I love that. All right, now. I, now I want to hear her funny story, and I want to make time for now that because that, I know it's going to be good. <laughs> now that we've now that we've learned a little, we have so much more to learn. We would love to hear if you have any funny hair stories, horror stories, things that will make us la- that our listeners laugh, experiences that we can all relate to here. What what have you had happen in your career? Don't hold back. Okay. We have had everything Don't on this podcast. Back. All right. All right. So when I decided, okay, so my husband dropped me off one day because, okay, here's the part that I kind of left out. When I moved to Maryland in 2010, I didn't go back to work until almost 2012 because I had become a yoga mom, right? I had had a baby, you know, it was nothing for my shirt to just have milk stains all over. Like I was good. (laughs) No makeup, nothing. I was good, right? So my husband was like, you need a job. You're going to you're going to work, and he's like, I found the perfect spot for you because we always knew I wanted to go work at a white salon, but it was like, yeah, you're going to this one. So he dropped me off randomly one day, right? So they set <laughs> me up. They set me up because I was like, wait, what? Wait, for real? So <laughs> they were like, we need you to do a model. So I was like, okay, cool. So I bring in this black girl, and I do, and I bang out this color, and she's short and sexy, and she's got all these multi-dimensional colors, and they're just sitting there, and they're like. Yeah, we see you're obviously great at this, which was IE. Okay, we see you do black hair, but can you do white hair? So we're going to give you a model and you're going to come back and do another working interview. And I was like, what? So <laughs> I got to come back. And now she's like, we want you to, to color her. We want you to put spoils in and we want you to cut it and style it, blow dry, it, you know, round brush it. So I was like, okay, fine. So I go home and I'm watching all my videos on falling. I'm not, I'm not a good foiler at this point. So I'm going, I, I'm like buying foils with the grip on the ends, you know, with the, <laughs> so to make it stay in the hair. Cause I don't even know how to make it stay in the hair. So I'm trying to do all this work, right. To, to fast forward. Cause I got like a week to get it together. So I go in and the girl is our receptionist. So they're like, you got to do her. They always do the receptionist. I know. <laughs> Cause you know, that's pay. That's part of the, <laughs> part of the job description. Yeah. So I'm doing her and I'm, I'm working with all these balls and, and I'm getting them in and it's going good and everything's going good. And I'm feeling super confident. I'm, you know, that, you know, I'm, I finally stopped itching and scratching and I'm sweating. 
So now I'm feeling good. And I'm like, all right, let's get to this round brushes. Well, I feel like how you guys do when you look at a, a woman with an afro or like curly hair and you're like, where do I start? Well, I kind of felt that way too because I was watching the videos where everybody was just twirling and, you know, putting the hair on the nostril, <laughs> yeah. fire and bringing it back. I can it down. So I'm like, all right, I got this. I'm going to do it. So I get the I'm like, what? I mean, I'm rolling wrists going and the back of the, the filter, the back of the filter comes off. And the hair says, No. (laughs) What happened? The hair wound up in the inside dryer and it went, and it, oh, to the scalp? It was like, Yes, it was like, Oh my God, oh my God. So I'm like, Looking around because I'm trying to like, Did you turn the dryer off? Sometimes people panic and don't. I did for about three seconds. So clearly, she, she was like, ow, 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 ow. So I'm like, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. <laughs> and so I'm like trying to be, you know, I, you ever like, well, you ever like hit somebody who's little and then you like trying to get them to not cry because you don't want them to Yeah. So I'm like, be quiet, be quiet. And she's like, ow, ow, ow. So I'm in there like trying to peel her hair out of, oh. out of that fan. Oh my God. And I'm thinking, I am not getting this job. Like I did all this work and these people are going to say, get out of here. <laughs> and finally I had to, you know, kind of, I peeled a little bit out, but I finally had to just cut it out. And oh, no. I begged her <laughs> to not tell them that I had wound her hair up in this dryer. And I had, to, I literally feel like I needed to pay her. Like I just kept saying, please don't tell them. I'm like, I'll do anything. She was like, Oh, I'm not going to tell him, but she did have a nice little gap there. Where oh, my God. Did they, um, what happened? What was the end result? I ended up getting the job. That's where I was. You know, oh, I, it's your current salon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does the receptionist, does she still work there? No, but we all uh, talk about it. She would always kind of point at that spot. Like, <laughs> so they eventually <laughs> found out. No, they didn't. Oh, so they did Later, I made a joke about it. And I was like, y'all don't know. But it was years later. Like, I had to solidify my space in the floor yeah. before I told them that like you guys You're like I've been here for seven years now I can tell <laughs> now I can tell you the truth so yeah that yeah. is hilarious I love that story. and terrifying I mean I that, that moment was, is just like your your heart falls out of your you know mouth I, like I think my heart fell in my underwear yeah. <laughs> I felt it like and I was like oh my god I am not seeing this job and I vowed after that to just learn, and I became a full-time student on everybody. Well, let's be honest too. The back of the dryer falling off—that would have—that like, would do that? that to anybody. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know it was going to happen to me during with round brushing because I was not familiar with round oh, brushing. Yeah. Oh, I see. So. Do you have a Dyson oh. now where it just goes? <laughs> You know, <laughs> just a big hole in it. <laughs> You'll never have that problem again. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So I'm always like cognizant of that little piece when I do. I got another drive that I love too, and I'm like, I'm always thinking about that piece. It's like, taped but, down at this point. I have, I have it. Now, I definitely hit it and slap it before I, you know. Oh my god! I had the same thing happen once, and. It was a white girl from Russia with hair that was thinner than you can possibly imagine and just ripped it right off her head. And I just remember being like, 
This is it. What do you this, do? Is, this is. I mean, this is. This what is happens. where I die. This is, and only a, only a hairdresser knows that feeling of like. Oh, dread. I can feel it for. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I felt my heartbeat in places I couldn't have felt. Like <laughs> in my ears. Like, go, 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 go. Oh my like, god! Pulsing, like every part of me was pulsing. Had a pulse, and I was uh, like, "I know I'm, I should feel this here." Like I'm like, "Oh, what I would have passed out." I'm getting <laughs> anxious just thinking. Me about too. It. <laughs> I need to go. I feel like I need a drink. Like seriously, like I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like say mm. that because we're gonna bring you on. We'll have drinks. <laughs> yes, we'll have drinks next time. But before we go, we want to bring Max on, and we want to hear what Max learned. While listening to us laugh and and be loud, were you laughing, Max? Hi, Max. Hair, yeah. Max. It just gets Hi. longer and longer. Max's yeah. hair gets bigger like every episode. <laughs> <laughs> but today, just built on a conversation I've been having with my friends and family for a while now, is that we need to do the work. Like we white people need to do the work before we can expect all of these institutions and systems to change because we're the ones who have to push to make this change. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Max. Really bringing, <laughs> bringing the message home he always today. Just, yeah. He always just drops it. I love it. Well, thank but, you so much for being on, Kia. Yes, we love having me. This was awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We will do it again because Absolutely. we enjoyed it so much, and we have more to talk about. This isn't this um, isn't a one. Now we're going to be popping up in your DMs all the time, okay. just like miss you, love you, <laughs> come say hi. You're <laughs> you're not far from New York. Come visit. We'll come to you. Right. Okay, I love I'm it. It's not, <laughs> right. As soon as we can travel. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Kia. Bye. Bye.